0: associate pastor, youth pastor here, and I just want to first of all thank this church for praying for me. Um, Several weeks ago, um, I had my gallbladder removed, I had pancreatitis, and it's the very first time I'd ever been admitted into the hospital, Um, and so I didn't realize that you had to dress up They give you this costume They don't have a back in it. It's the most embarrassing thing ever, I'm telling you. Um, if you've never experienced that, I hope you never do. Um, but anyway, um, thank you all for, for praying for me. I am, I am well. I'm having to figure out what I can and can't eat now, which is a challenge for me because I like to eat. And, um, and so anyway, could just continue to, uh, to pray that I will adjust. Um, I always get to start... Or either close a sermon series. It's just the weirdest thing. Josh and I have been talking about this for some time now. It always lands on that particular time when we're starting a new series or ending a new series. The thing about Isaiah is huge. And so it might be several years before I'm up here again. Um, And so either closing it or starting a new one. And so I'm gonna take advantage of this moment. And so Josh and I were, were, were talking about how do we start this particular wonderful chapter in the Old Testament. And um, Isaiah chapter six is where I'm going, is where I landed. And so, if you want to go ahead and uh, turn to Isaiah chapter six, the reason why I chose Isaiah chapter six is one, it kind of puts a a good explanation mark on the beginning of of, of this chapter, um, of, of the beginning of this of this book, and as a whole, um, and it really signifies the entire theme of the entire book of Isaiah, and that is God is holy. And I think that we have missed that over the years. I think that the church really needs to get back to the reverence of who God is. In this particular chapter, chapter 6, there's a lot of questions that we want to kind of unfold here and unpack here. A.W. Tozer said it like this. The most important thing about a person is what that person thinks about God. The most important thing about a person is what that person thinks about God, What you think about God is the one thing that defines who you are and how you relate to God. What you think about God will determine what, what, what kind of friends you may have, what kind of future you may have, what kind of job you may have when, when you grow up teenagers um, or some adults. Um, how you dress, how you interact with other people, um, what church you're going to land in. How you view God, how you see God determines everything. And If you were to fill in the blank, God is blank, what would your blank be? What would you put in that blank? And I think that sometimes we have to get back to the basics of, of Scripture, and we have to get back to the basics of what, who God is, because I think because we live in a world and a society of people with unclean lips, as we're going to see in this particular, this particular passage, sometimes our view of God gets skewed. Sometimes our view of God gets not necessarily changed, but we get polluted by the environment that we're in. I going not go as far as to say sometimes any particular church that we may grow up in, sometimes our view of God, we need to get back to the basics. And we, go, we need to look at the scriptures and see who is God. Some of you may have a bad experience in the church, and so your blank would be pain and hurt. Some of you had wonderful experiences in church, and so, so your, your blank would be you know, just this awesome experience. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of unpack some ideas of some views of how people may see God, and how some of you may be in this room view and see God. God as a narcissistic boss. Some people view God as a as a narcissistic boss. There's a list of rules that you have to follow, and if you break any of those rules, then there's going to be a red check against you, and then there, then your performance evaluation at the end of the year is not going to match up. You're always trying to work to match up, and there's this tradition that you're always trying to follow so you can make it up the ladder. And I would say that you're a follower of religion. You're a follower of religion. So that's the narcissistic boss. You view God as a narcissistic boss. Some people view God as a police officer or a law enforcement officer. He will throw you in jail if you break any of his laws. He'll throw you in jail if you break any of his laws. You're very judgmental toward others that don't have your view of who God is. And I would say you're a moralist. You're, 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 you have this view of God that you have to check off these boxes and you're always trying to check those boxes off. You're a moral person. You're very straightforward. Some people view God as like, as like Santa Claus. You don't want to make it on his bad list. Um, you spend your time doing good stuff to weigh out the bad stuff. Um, and, and your motivation for doing good things is that God is going to give you something in return. And, you, you, to get, and, and so God is basically a higher power for you. He's basically just this, kind of this character for you. And then some people view God as a teddy bear. He's like a good luck charm. You only need him when you're down or you're, or you're emotionally hurt. Or, or, or that God who, who never allows bad things to happen to good people. Um, he, he has no real power to do anything. That's, that's the, the God of relativism. In other words, God can be pretty much anything for you. You just kind of put him in the box and you kind of carry him around with you whenever things get bad for you. And then God is, for some people, God is like a paramedic. He's the last resort. He's that 911 call. You know he's there. He's going to bail you out. And so he's like a paramedic for you. And so, in other words, you, you're going to try your very best to find that verse in God's word at the very last minute. So now the difficult thing about all these different views is that out of all those views, there is an attribute of God that is true. In a lot of those views, but without a biblical view of who God is, each of those views is extremely inadequate. Extremely inadequate. It will lead you to false perceptions and a false identity and a false worship of God who reveals himself through only the scriptures. And so whatever preconceived idea you may have of your view of who God is, here's what I want you to do. I want, you, I want us to, this morning, is to look into the Scriptures. This morning. So whatever preconceived notion, any, whatever view you may have, and if I just hit that for you, you're like, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how I view God. Then, man, let's look at the Scriptures. I'm going to give you some background. Isaiah 6, 1-8. Uzziah reigned... For 52 years. And he was a successful king. We're going to read about him in here in a minute. Um, he was a successful king and he was, a good, he was good to his people. He was able to turn Jerusalem into a fortified city. He did a lot of wonderful things with, with the city. He was well, well equipped with a with great military and a defense, and he gave the people a sense of security. And so Isaiah was a prophet, and he wasn't just any prophet. Some feel perhaps he was the greatest prophet in Israel. And and Isaiah was a man who was a statesman, who spoke to God, to common people, and also to the kings. The sad story about Uzziah is this. Is at the end of his life, pride began to kind of seep in. And he began to look at his kingdom, and he was puffed up with pride. And he was, look what I've done. And what the Lord did is the Lord gave him leprosy. And that ended his life. Now here's the thing, when, when that happened, you have a king that, that was 52 years, he was a good king. The people went crazy when he died. They went into this frenzy. There was, there was this, the sense of security was gone. It was almost like that security plank was gone. And everybody freaked out. Instead of turning to God like Isaiah told them to, they didn't. They were caught up in this frenzy of self-indulgement and moral corruption. And that's how it was when Uzziah died. The leader was dead. So among all of the God fearing Jews who may have sought the face of God was the prophet himself, Isaiah. And this is what he goes into the temple in chapter six, and this is what he says. We picked up in chapter six, verse six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Lord Jesus, as we open up this text, Lord, as we read the word, I pray, Lord, you'd open our hearts, Lord. And however we view you, Lord, I pray, Lord, that that would change to a biblical view this morning. I pray, Lord, for people in this room, Lord, that you would become real. I pray, Lord, that when people leave this auditorium, they leave with a sense of, send me, Lord. And so, Jesus, this morning, change us, and it's in your name. Amen. Man, that's an incredible verse. This incredible body of text. And when I read that, I'm thinking, how in the world? It's 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 a little apocalyptic. It's it's, it's kind of scary. You have these creatures that are flying around with these wings. and, And it's almost like, man, how? I couldn't imagine being there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And there is not a single head of state in the world who has been there in 50 years. The turnover for leadership is 100%. In other words, in a brief 110 years, this planet will probably have populated 10 billion brand new people and all 4 billion of us alive today will have vanished from the earth just like Uzziah did, but not God. But not God. He is on his throne and forever will be on his throne He never had a beginning and therefore depends on nothing for his existence. He always has been and always will be alive. And we are overhearing a divine worship service like no other. And we are hearing the effects of what happened when holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty is proclaimed. And that is the Lord's primary attribute in Scripture is God is holy. So what does it mean? Consider this. While you were sleeping last night, the choir of angels that was proclaiming the glory of God. And when you woke up this morning, they were still singing. Even right now, they're still saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. When we leave here, they're still going to be singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. When we go to bed tonight, they're still going to be singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They will not stop. So what does it mean? We're often guilty of thinking empty Christian talk. I'm very guilty of it. Oftentimes, when I lay my boys down the bed, and, and my wife is sometimes um, very quick to go, Hey, you know, we really need to work on this in our, in, in our marriage and in, in, our, in our family. On oh, this, the Holy Spirit kind of going, Okay, Brad. And we all do this. We kind of lay them, we lay our kids down, and we, we want them down quick, man, get to bed i don't I want to watch Family Feud and this is what we do we say, we say a short prayer that's almost rehearsed and 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 I read that verse, and I think, man, he is so holy. Who am I to just flippantly just kind of say a prayer that doesn't have really a lot of substance to it and it's rehearsed and it's something that I just do all the time. So we've got, we have so used to this Christian talk that we just kind of do. This repetitive way of just kind of going through the motions. And so we're off to get empty of, guilty of thinking empty Christian talk and when they say the phrase, God is holy, we have no idea what that really means. Yes, it's holy, and you ought to know right, the right time to, to know who God is. And so let's, let's unpack the word holy. It means set apart. If you've been a part of Sunday School Life Group, you kind of, you, you've learned that. It means being, to be set apart. He is God, and there is no one like him. He's sacred. He is holy, holy, holy. Three times because the earth can't even obtain and secure his holiness. It would, be, it would be inappropriate to compare him to any other being. He is incomparable. His holiness is utterly unique divine spirit. It determines all that he is and does. And, determines, and it is determined by no one. His holiness is, is who he is as God. And the amazing thing is that he has chosen to reveal himself to us. He's chosen to reveal himself to us, not just in the scriptures, but as Isaiah sees him. Not even the angels can look upon him. They cover their face and they cover their feet and they fly. Not even they can look upon him. Great and good as they are, unattained by human sin, unblemished by human sin, they revere their maker in great humility. But the angels themselves hide their wings in reverence to the splendor of the Lord. And as Isaiah is witnessing this glorious worship service, notice that the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke of the Lord. Can you imagine walking into a place and seeing this being on the throne And his robe covers the entire area. And the place is filled with smoke. His Holy Spirit. Isaiah begins to process what is happening, and the second they give language to what he is experiencing, God is holy. What is Isaiah's response? What is his response? Woe is me! That's the only thing that he can think is, woe is me. And oftentimes we come into a room like this where we want to hear a service and we sit down and we, we expect to hear God's word, but do we really feel the brokenness of our sin? Woe is me, I am undone. Some versions you may have of the word to say lost and ruined. He's basically saying, I am dead standing up. I'm a dead man standing up. According to the Israelite tradition, no one could see God and live. So here Isaiah, he's walking into a room, he sees God and he's thinking to himself, I'm dead. That's it. I'm going to die. And so that's why he goes, woe is me. So if Isaiah feels... That he is destroyed because of his own self condemnation. And he realized how unclean he has been in the presence of God. And Isaiah has this incredible response, and after this, that reveals his own nature. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. He reveals his nature. He reveals what he has bent toward, the sin that is in his life, that he has a bent toward of unclean lips. And he don't just expose his own sinfulness. Let's look at what he does here. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How powerful of a confession is it that he takes personal responsibility for his own sin and corporate responsibility for the sin of his people? No, he's not just broken over his sin. He's broken over his nation, his tribe. He goes, Lord, I am so dirty. I'm so ruined. And I'm in the midst of the Lord. And man, the people that I'm with. So it's not just okay for him to be right with God. His people need to be right with God also. And he just don't confess his sin. He confesses the sin of people. Those that he knows, those that is in his tribe and nation. In other words, forgive us. Have you heard this before? Church, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Does that sound familiar? He bears some corporate responsibility for his family, his tribe, and his nation. When's the last time you prayed for your neighbor? When's the last time you prayed for people that are around you and your family, that you know that are lost? Isaiah, he feels the, the weight of his own sin, but he also feels the weight of the sin of his nation. You've heard me say this before, and our students, they've heard me say this before, it's okay to walk into this building and not be okay. It's okay to walk into a life group and not be okay. It's okay to walk into my house and not be okay. It's okay to walk into this church office during the week and not be okay. But I want to take it a little bit further. I want to add to it. It's not okay that you are okay. In other words, those of you that seemingly, not that you have it all figured out, but you've been there and you've done that and you've been to the trenches, you've been through the fire, and you're like, I'm okay with the Lord right now. I'm okay with the Lord. She say, Brad, what are you trying to say here? Don't abandon the bride of Christ who Jesus died for. It's not good for you to walk into this room disconnected. It's not good for you to walk into our ministries disconnected with everyone here and say, but God, I'm okay. And you just sit there. We are not okay without you. We're not okay without you. We live among people of unclean lips who, are, who discount the holiness of God. And there are broken people who, that need you to take responsibility for what is right and bring your gifts and your talents to this body of believers so that we can be complete. So let me step on some toes. My email address is btollison at Do not email my pastor. He's in Bulgaria. We've heard it said so many times. I've done my time. i done my time. I'm just going to sit. Please. Don't sit. Idle. This church, the body of Christ, needs you. There are broken people around you that you're seeing. Their marriages break. Their, their families falling apart. And you're seeing it and you're thinking to yourself, man, I've been there, but I'm just not going to do anything about it. How dare us to just walk silently. Silently. The lostness of this world affects each of us individually and all of us collectively. Whether we like it or not. Whether we like it or not. So the foundation of the temple was shaken. God is declared holy. Isaiah's response to his sin and our sin is, Woe is me, and he confesses that he has sin. He confesses that, man, I'm messed up. He confesses that I'm not okay. And that's what happens when we enter into a place in our life or a place in a a church service or maybe it's in a life group or maybe it's on your face before the Lord and you realize that God is holy and his scripture infects you and you realize, man, I'm unclean. And I'm not talking to just the lost person. I'm talking to those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, the church. God is inconceivably glorious, and man is sinfully lost. The stage is set for good news for Isaiah as he cries out in desperation, woe is me, and the Lord responds in mercy. This is what I love. And what happens next is an incredible picture of the gospel in verse 6. This is what it says. And one of them, the seraphim, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal. And he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. And said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now, all of you that are literal thinkers, don't go to Walmart and buy charcoal. and start burning people in the mouth. That would not be good. Don't, don't, don't say that Brad said to do this. Fire. Fire in the scripture is a representation of the Holy Spirit, and it says he is a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. Fire always signifies purification. So, because of the confession, woe is me, I am undone, listen to me church, that prompts a response from heaven. Did you hear that? That prompts a response from heaven. In other words, the worship service is put on pause. When one of us says, woe is me, and the Lord responds with mercy. Mercy. Some of you may be asking the question here this morning is, where is God in my life? Where is he in my life? When you confess your guilt and your inadequacies before a holy God, it prompts a response from heaven. So maybe the Lord is waiting on you to respond to his holiness. Maybe the Lord is waiting on you to go, okay, here's the issues in your life. Let me do some surgery here. Let me change my view of who I am for you. How you relate to Jesus will determine whether or not that is viewed as forgiveness or wrath or condemnation. That is why who God is is so important. That is why who God is and how you view his son, Jesus, is so important. It touches his mouth and his sins are forgiven and his guilt is gone. What an incredible thing we need today from the gospel once again. We need the gospel to purify us and forgive us. In John chapter 20, verse 29, it says, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus knew it was going to be difficult for us. He knew it was going to be difficult for us as we walk among those people with unclean lips. He knew the environment that He's putting us in is going to be difficult. And so therefore, what does he do? What does he give us? He gives us the scriptures. He gives us the church. He gives us each other. But oftentimes what we do is we discount it. We, we, we kind of go, okay, I'm just going to pull this out just every now and then. Or I'm, I'm not really going to go to church today. I'm going to kind of... And then it, we go through this cycle in our life. And we forget and we go through this thing called the motions. I didn't know what that was when I first got saved, and um, I didn't grow up in church. Um, I was uh, a lot of you know my story. I was an agnostic. Um, couldn't stand Christians, and um, I was what they call a fish out of water when I walked into this place. It wasn't this room. It was another one. It's gone now. Um, but man, I was like a fish out of water. I didn't. Know, I didn't know the lingo. And I will never forget this. I was at a job place where I was uh, working in downtown Birmingham, and we had a lunch break. And I had my quiet time, my little book. I think it was called Time with God. Somebody bought it for me. Um, I'd never been to a, back then it was called the Baptist Bookstore. It's Lifeway Now, which doesn't exist now. It's online. Um, it's crazy how things change. Um, but I was doing my quiet time. And this, this guy walked through. I knew he was a believer because we talked about it before. And this is, we said, what are you reading? I said, well, it's my quiet time. He goes, oh, well, you're a new believer, aren't you? I said, yes, sir, I am. He goes, oh, that'll wear off soon. I went, what's going to wear off? What are you talking about? What, what is it? What is, what is it going to wear off? Well, that, that fire you have, that zeal you have and everything, you know, you, just wait. You, 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 you'll, you'll hit a couple of hard bumps in your life and everything, and that'll, that'll wear off. In other words, going through the motions. And I thought to myself then, I'm not going to follow that guy. I'm not going to take his advice. And so I began to watch his life and how miserable he was. I'm like, man, is that what this is about? And I start to meet people in the church. And talk to people in the church and I start to to examine and watch people in their lives. And there's some families that I would go to and I would literally kind of get to know. And I'd kind of go, -uh. no, no, this isn't. I don't want to go there. Think about this for a second. Agnostic. Hated the church. Saved. Starts to follow other believers, and I have to pick apart the ones that I know I can and can't follow. Because all I have is the scriptures. All I have is the all I have is God's word. That's it. And a couple of old dudes that, that pulled alongside of me and goes, Hey Brad, we're gonna we're gonna mentor you. We're gonna take you to some preaching some, some preaching, some, some revivals. I don't even know what that was. And so Someone asked me the other day, how, did you, how was you discipled, Brad? Who discipled you? How was you discipled? And I had to think about that for a second. And I thought about it. And I said, You know, it was an accident. It was an accident. Now, by the providence of the Lord, it wasn't. He knew what was going on. But is it an indictment on the church? that it was an accident. I can't point to a moment in time or a program or even a, I hate to say this, but even a life group in my life that I go, you know, that's where I was discipled. No, guess who, guess what, guess how I was discipled? It was other men and other women in this church that said, woe is me. I've seen him. I know him. Woe is me. He is holy. He is holy. And so Brad, why don't you come along with us and we'll show you the ropes. And that's what happened. And there's some men in this room that you have no idea how much you have influenced and infected my life. And so, church, you're needed. You may think that you can't be used anymore because of your age, which I think is the biggest lie. You may be think that you're too young, that the church can't use you, your talents. You may feel inadequate. You may feel that I mean I've I've sinned, I've messed up. Jesus knew it would be difficult for us because we live among people with unclean lips. And living in that environment can cloud our view of God. Has your view of God been clouded? Has your view of God been skewed? Here's another one. Second Timothy 4.3 is a warning. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate themselves teachers to suit their own passions could it be that a lot of people are in religious circles on even in the church that have settled for a belief system that suits themselves we're going to pick and choose what we like and if that hurts too much i'm not going to go there and if this 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 if this don't feel good to me i'm not going to go there no if this don't fit my belief system i'm not going to be a part of that And so I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So if your view of God is the narcissistic boss, you need the gospel to move you to a relationship where you are under, where you understand he is personal and he is ready and willing to connect with you right where you're at. In other words, you don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to put on a suit. You don't have to get your life right. He wants a relationship with you right where you're at. You don't have to wait until the holidays to worship. You don't have to wait until uh, a, a major service or a blowout that we have here. He's available to you right now. So if that's your view of God, your narcissistic boss view of God... You need a relationship with Jesus, a more powerful relationship with Jesus. If your view of God is a police officer, and his primary is moralism, the gospel wants to move you to maturity. Listen to me, church, where you actually own and accept the rules and the reign of God, and you demand God's justice here on earth As it is in heaven and you become an advocate for those that are last, least, and lost. In other words, this holy fire infects you and you're like, man, there's so much wrong in this world. There's so many things going on in this world and you think to yourself, man, I've got to do something about it. That's how ministries are started. That's how missions are started. Is the fire gets infected in somebody and they're like, man, I've got to go. I've got to go. So you no longer have this police officer mentality. You have a gospel-centered mentality. The gospel brings to mature you and realize it's not just a relationship about following rules. It's about an experience and peace of God who rules. Maybe you have a view of God that's like a Santa Claus and you need the gospel to move you to, from relativism to a father in heaven who delights in you to a daddy that loves you and he wants to give you good gifts, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. Maybe your view of God is like a teddy bear, which is relativism and the gospel wants to exchange that for righteousness, Christ righteousness, not man-made righteousness, but Christ righteousness, that there is only one way, one truth and one life and the father and his name is Jesus. And he is offering you his righteousness. So you don't have to be confused or concerned about who God is. And you'll understand that God's truth is all you need. And that he is your redeemer. Maybe your view of God is like a paramedic. And you're just looking for insurance and the gospel wants to move you to assurance in him. To rest in him. He is your rock, your mighty mighty fortress. And he cannot be shaken and you can be assured of his presence today, tomorrow, and forevermore. So once the gospel starts to purify you. And once the gospel starts to change your heart. And forgive you of your sins. And you move from woe is me. This is what happens church. Listen to me. This 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 is what happens. You move from woe is me. To hear my send me. That's what happens. That's what he wants to do. He wants us to move from woe is me to hear my send me. Chances are he you are he is sending you out of the healing of your woundedness. Listen to me, church. Chances are because of your woundedness. He wants to send you out in a mission field where your woundedness can help other people. In other words, where you have been broken, he can use you. So instead of wallowing around in woe is me, here am I. Send me, Lord. Use my brokenness. Use my talents that you've given me. That's the church. That's the mission field. So your greatest pain will probably be your greatest passion and impact in the kingdom of God. Think about it for a second. Your greatest pain, what what would that be? Will probably be your greatest passion and impact in the kingdom of God. And I'm just wondering if there's some of you here this morning... That have been sitting here in this church for years in a woe is me attitude. And my hope and my prayer for you this morning is that He's moving you to a here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. It's not perfect, it's not pretty, Lord, but here am I, send me. I'm still rough around the edges, but here am I. Send me. I may be odd to some people. I may be a little different to some people, but Lord, here am I. Send me. When we have that kind of attitude, the Lord can move in miraculous ways in the church. And that is when revival breaks out. And then I prayed through this text, and it's been a, I thought it was going to be an easy text, but it's been pretty difficult. It's beat me up a lot. And I've been wondering, how am I going to present this to the church today? And the thing, most of our hang-ups and our addictions and our little idols and our attachments that we have, that we know that are unhealthy, but we keep returning to, is simply we've made some of those small things Our gods. And we don't even know it. Until one day the Lord says, okay, this is is enough. Maybe in a service like this, maybe on your face before the Lord. And he taps on your shoulder and goes, okay, Brad. Here am I. Here am I. realize the holiness of God and slowly but surely realize and we worship that thing and do you realize that worship is not an option for you worship is not an option for you it's in your heart you're gonna worship something the question is will it be the Lord the question is who or what So, today, maybe you need a holy movement in your heart that God, He looks at your pain and He looks at your your brokenness and He says, I can use that. I can use that. What would it look like if you were to move from a woe is me to a send me, Lord? Kind of an attitude. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.